Hello and welcome. It's the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Today, we're talking about making a Hollywood mockumentary feature film with Scott Fivelson and his brilliant film, Near Myth, The Oscar Night Story. I'm Giles Alderson. I'm the director of The Dare and the director of the new vegan documentary, which has its new Twitter page. And I'd love you to go support it. If you're on Twitter, please go there uh, and give us a follow. It is at foodforthoughtdoc. And the four is a number four. Um, that would be amazing. Myself and Dan are going to Croatia in a couple of days. And we're going to be there for a week filming. Um, it's really exciting. We're buzzing already. I'm really pleased with how it's going so far. I'm also the producer of the horror comedy A Serial Killer's Guide to Life. And I produced and directed the vampire documentary World of Darkness, which is available now for you to see. I'm recording this from my shed. It's really late. It's pretty much ten past three. I've been editing the podcast and getting it ready for you guys to listen to, so it should be up hopefully in half an hour. Um... And, yeah, it's kind of full of spiders in here. I actually shot a short film in here once. Anyway, moving on. Um, the Indie Film shoutouts. Thank you very much this week. You guys have been brilliant on the Twitter retweeting and sending lovely messages about last week's podcast and still the podcast before that as well. So really do appreciate everything and all your comments and love. So love back to you goes to William Gareth Evans, Stan Knight, Joe Pranatist, uh, Rosie Coburn, Vanessa Bailey, Stephen P. Mitchell, Indie Film Friend, and Chase, who is at shot well chase on twitter um fizz and ginger shout out to them they got a brilliant glowing review from stephen fry for the latest film the isle they have been on the podcast you can check them out uh and stephen fry is watching their film and saying how amazing it is alejandro montoy marin he's also been fantastic this week and helping support so thank you brother um also elliot barker his film we talked about a couple of weeks ago um, Huntington Gardens it's the short comedy about Brexit Britain um, it's a, set in a residential street in post-Brexit Britain where the neighbours battle it out for the best parking spot it sounds brilliant do go support him they are quarter funded 14 days to go please go support it is on Kickstarter link will be in the show notes um, Tom O'Brien and Jesse Barr shout out to you guys too you're going to be on the podcast very soon uh, look forward to that. Okay, so this is exciting news. Winter Ridge, the film with uh, Matt Hawkins, uh, directed by Dom Lenoir, um, that they produced together through Camelot Films, is going out to 25 cinemas this week all across the UK. This is fantastic. This is an indie film they made themselves on a moderate budget. And they have now got some release. This is fantastic. It may not seem abnormal for a tiny budget film um, and their humble cast, but it really is a massive achievement. So congratulations, because they've done this themselves. 
is a big deal not just for the film but for the indie community for you guys because it shows you can get your film out there you can get it in cinemas of all genres all budget levels and you can succeed if you push for it so do it really believe in yourself believe in your script believe in your ability to direct or to produce and go out there and do it and why not show these guys some love uh, and go see the film because it's fucking brilliant it really is a brilliant film and they deserve all the love they're getting because they are they're winning awards left right and center and most of the screenings there'll be q and a's so matt and don will be there um and you can listen to them on the podcast obviously um because they are really cool and it's fun um the ones coming up at the ninth uh, of October at the Kino in London Bridge or the 14th it's the Odeon in Wimbledon or the 16th Genesis Cinema in Mile End that is when I will be there so do come say hello okay Raindance last week we told you about a Raindance's boozing and smoothing session I'm going to plug it again it's the 10th of September 6.30 and it's the beautiful Century Club in Soho it really is the place where you want to be to meet other indie filmmakers. And because of us and our connection and our wonderfulness, you can go for free. That is correct. You can go for free. Just email party at raindance.co.uk, 10th of September, 6.30pm. Go there, network and meet like-minded indie filmmakers, screenwriters, producers. And you know what? You might find a brilliant collaboration and you might get your film made. Or you might make their film. Either way, it's brilliant. The link is in the show notes. Get on it. Right. Time for this week's podcast with the fantastic Scott Fivelson and his film, Nimith, the Oscar Night Story. I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So, joining us today to talk about filmmaking and his new film, Near Myth, The Oscar Night Story, is writer and director Scott Fivelson. Hey, Scott, how you doing? I'm here. I'm in L.A. Ooh. I'm an American. Yeah. And I'm be speaking to you. Well, I, well, you are already speaking to us, and we're delighted to have you on the show. Uh, now, Scott is a writer, producer, and a director. He's known for uh, American Real, Three Holes, and A Smoking Gun, and Near Myth, The Oscar Night Story. He won Best Screenwriter Award at Downtown Film Festival Los Angeles for, for, for Three Holes, Two Brads, and A Smoking Gun. Wait, I wrote that wrong. Is it Three Holes and A Smoking Gun or Three Holes, Two Brads, and A Smoking Gun? Actually, the original title was Three Holes, Two Brads, and a Smoking Gun. Yeah. But uh, the distributor decided that they might not know what brads were in, like, Belgrade. Uh, so it became Three Holes and a Smoking Gun, uh, or released in Mexico as Frijoles and a Smoking Gun. I love that, because I don't know what two brads are. What are two brads? Uh, you've obviously been spending a lot of time in Belgrade. Brads <laughs> are the little metal, little metal clips that hold your script together. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, right. Okay. So three holes, two brads. Right. Okay. I don't know what we call them here. Having brads in your script does not ensure that your story will hold together. That's very but it does, true. 
That's very <laughs> true. Um, and also for that film, uh, the same film won Best Lead Actor for James Wilder at the Red Dirt Award, Grand Jury Prize at the 2014 Red Dirt International Film Festival. That film also won Best US Narrative Feature Film at the Laughlin International Film Festival. And Scott also won Breakthrough Director Spotlight Award at Hollywood Real Independent Film Festival and Best Director at Vancouver Film Dance Festival. And they were both for Near Myth, the Oscar Night Story. It gives me great pleasure and a huge welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast, Scott Fivelson. So that's a, that's a nice little list of films that you've made and, and a nice few awards that you've gone through there. I mean, congratulations, first of all. Well, thanks a lot, Giles. That, that's uh, a heck of an introduction. Knowing you know this week that I was going to be talking to you in Britain, mm. I kept anticipating, and I, and I hope I'm right, that I mean, as much as it's nice that it'll just, that, you know, you and I are talking, I'm hoping that other people are going to be there and it's going to be kind of like the Graham Norton show. Yes, it's very much like that here in my loft right now. Um, I've got Graham behind me. He's making faces at the moment. Is it, isn't that Tom Hiddleston going to be joining us in a, in a couple of minutes? Yep, yep. And Mark Strong, he's on the couch later. So, yes, it's like a therapy session. <laughs> the Filmmakers Podcast is like a therapy session, yes. <laughs> You've got to get him on here. I've got to, to get him on here. I mean, I, I reckon we should do a, a uh, an Indiegogo campaign to get Tom Hiddleston on the podcast. Um, I don't see why he wouldn't come on. Do you know what I mean? It's it's going to happen at one point, isn't it? If you give him a, a platform to do to reenact the scene from Heat, he'll be there. I tell you what, we could do is we could set up a scenario where where he's actually in a film where he has to play Pacino, and it's the scene in Heat. It's like a documentary following um, Pacino around, and Tom Hiddleston's playing Pacino. So we yes. get that scene, and therefore he can create that scene, and then probably that's the reason why I'll come and do it. I reckon we can get a budget for that. I reckon we should start writing it now. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure his agents on board with it already. I'm sure they're listening. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. Um, so this podcast is all about helping people get off their asses and make their feature film, or the harder part, selling their feature film, carrying on making more films. So that's what we do here. You know that. So what we wanted to do is perhaps start off at the beginning with you. So Scott, why don't you start off telling us about your first feature film that you actually made, uh, American Real? How did that come about? Well, American Real was like a labor of love, is yeah. all of these films were, except for Route 666, which is, was a labor of money. Uh, <laughs> which, but, which you wrote, right? You didn't direct that, which is really interesting. Well, it's sort of like uh, Route 666 is like a lot of things. Like, uh, you'll hear them say in the movies, there was love at the start, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, with American Real, you had some big names in that. You've got David Carradine, you've got Michael Maloney. Tell us, how did it come about? American Real um, followed a very interesting path. I mean, basically, it started with uh, one of the best writers I know uh, and, and, and certainly one of the best singer-songwriters out there whose name is uh, Tom Bishop, a.k.a. Junior Burke. And um, basically, what happened is Tom had... Re- I mean, I knew Tom from Chicago, which is where I'm from, and he had released uh, a new album, and <clears throat> I heard it, and uh, I called him up, and I said... Um, he said, how'd you like the new album? And I said, we're making a movie around the new album is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, oh, really? I didn't know that. I said, yeah, this we got to do because uh, it's it's wonderful album. And um, I just said, look, I, I want to I want us to write a film um, about that, that, that point where um, 
after you know recording a number you know, playing clubs and traveling and you know doing a number of albums suddenly everything turns on a dime and uh and the way it is and then when it and, and it turns big and yeah, I, it's, I, it's the story of an overnight success right that's basically well, it but 20 years in the making that's the sort of yeah, the, the tagline is yeah overnight success 20 years in the making i love it and, i mean that you know that applies to a lot of a lot of musicians um mm. And, and everyone thinks musicians, oh, it's, they they just got their big break. No, their big break's been for twenty years trying to get something like this off the ground. So yeah, that's it's a great great idea and great story. Well, thanks. I mean, especially in that area of, I mean, I mean, rock bands can uh, can be toiling for years, but in the area of folk rock, you know, uh, I mean, Tom Bishop is somebody who played folk clubs for years, and you know, and, and, and a, a huge huge following. The idea of when a folk musicians career turns on a dime and everything changes uh but the life changes too and the expectations change and the expectations that now come in from a record label and um you know all the people who were expecting to profit on what you've just done so we were going to do this <clears throat> well we wrote the script we wrote american real uh me well actually tom co-writes under the name he does screenwriting under the name uh, junior burke so um we we wrote this and um, then started packaging it. And originally he was going to play the lead role of James Lee Springer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I managed to get the script to Ali Sheedy, which was uh, wow. very fortunate through uh, Talia Shire. What? How? Whoa. Okay. So there's two massive names. How do you know Talia Shire, first of all, to get it to Ali Sheedy? Basically all I did was, you know, call out, you know, sometimes you just have to speak to the universe. Yep. So I just said like, Yo, Adrian, you know, <laughs> don't chase no goddamn chickens. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the, the fo- I just went, it's kind of like, seriously, I'm sitting, I'm going like, yo, Adrian. And the phone rings and it's Talia Shire. I mean, can, wow. so I don't, it was more complicated than that. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. But, I, but I did. I, I, I didn't call Stallone. You know, he, he would have you know, gone like, uh, no way. Yeah. You know, he, he wouldn't have helped. But uh, or he might have. I'm sure he's great. But anyhow, I, I knew her, and then through her, I met Ellie Sheedy, and Ellie is is the greatest. And she read, she uh, took American Real, um, read it in New York, and one day, <clears throat> this is great actually for aspiring filmmakers to hear. Um, so one day I come come in and I listen to my answering machine, and um, I mean because I'd sent the script off and it took a while, and then suddenly <clears throat> there's a uh, a message like you know. You know, hi, it's Ellie Sheedy. Uh, I've read American Real. I want to do your film. Oh, what a message so, to receive. Oh, you know, and um, I hope you saved I mean, it. I was about as excited as I think Tom Hiddleston will be when you leave a message saying, <laughs> I'm on your show. <laughs> finally, I, he'll say, finally, that Giles has bloody called me. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. And, uh, and Mark Strong keeps just like riding him about like, you're never on the show. They're never going to ask you. Of course he does. Of course he does. They're never going to ask you, he says. Yeah. yeah. All the time. So, But anyways, I was very, okay. The next step was Ellie said, look, uh, Tom's terrific. I love his, his music. Tom Bishop Jr. Burke. I love his music. Mm-hmm. But um, she said, he, you know, I, I really need to act opposite somebody who has done a lot of film. And um, so he said, look, if she can bring someone else and that's going to make it happen and, you know, and it's our script and his music, go for it. So Ali said, "Um, let me, let me talk to somebody. I'm not going to tell you who it is. And I think he's going to want to do your movie. And I think you'll want him. And um, I said, sure. Okay. Let's, let's see who it is. I was 
thinking, you know, who's she, you know, who's she going to come back with? You know, is it, you know, Ray Romano. I mean, what's it going to be? <laughs> so, I mean, that could have been great, you know. So, anyways, a few weeks later, Ellie calls and says, um, "Okay, David Carradine wants to play James Lee Springer." Oh my gosh! You know, and again, that was like, like another Tom Hiddleston moment. You know? mm-hmm. I keep hitting on that, but it was like the same excitement he'd have you know, being invited. Oh, gotcha. Uh, <laughs> and uh, see, I, I'm going to say so much that he will call this show and, and say he needs to be on with us. Of course he will. Of course he will. Cron <laughs> Hiddleston, you know, get on it. Anyway, anyways, but but Ellie said David wants to do it, and then she said, but you know, he wants to bring a lot of his own songs to the picture. So it ended up becoming this wonderful blend where uh, David Carradine as James Lee Springer sings some of his own songs, some of Tom's songs as his character's songs. And you know what? You can't tell. I mean, Tom can tell the difference, you know, mm-hmm. he knows which are his songs, you know, but uh, the audience can't, it's a, it's a wonderful blend. So, and David said some great things. I mean, during the making of the movie, at one point he said to me, uh, first of all, I, I loved working with David. I thought he was a great, great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, look, uh, I'm doing this film. Well, he liked the script, uh, but he also said, this is what I think my life would have been like if I'd been a musician instead of an actor, which maybe I should have been. Wow. But, uh, he did do live performing with his brother, Keith Carradine, his brother, Bobby Carradine. And in fact, for the songs in American Real, they went down to Nashville, recorded it, uh, RCA studio B, I believe it was called, which is where Elvis originally recorded. Wow. And that's when the songs for American Real were done. And uh, Tom produced the sessions. Mark Archer, who produced in the Company of Men and won Best Producer at Sundance, came on to direct. So that was terrific. Yeah. American Real had lots of locations. It even it was, it was like a budget of half a million. Lots of locations. But the three primary characters were David Carradine as James Lee Springer, Mariel Hemingway as a stand-up comic girl Friday, Disney Rifkin, and... James's best friend manager, uh, which ultimately was played by Michael Maloney. Let's talk about the writing side of that then. Yeah, um, yeah. How how did you find writing it? Obviously, because it's based on uh, sort of myths and stories and um, what happened with with Tom's life. How was it to write the screenplay then? How did you actually go about it? The, the answer, the long winded answer to your question is index cards. <laughs> index cards. Okay. Or wait, or a sheet of of lined college notebook paper in a list um yep you know just i'll tell you what i like to do is i like to have a building file of assorted ideas without worrying where they go and then at a certain point it reaches a kind of you know like enough weight on the scale then it could be like okay it's time to start organizing this and see what what kind of naturally comes together. So first it just amass the things that inspiration give you on a given topic, you know, and if there's no time limit, you're putting on yourself to do that. Honestly, that's even better. It's just like, let it keep coming to you. It's like the classic mag, like you turn on the magnet and the little metal feelings, fillings, like click onto it, you know, Mm. you know, that sort of thing. And then you've got all this stuff and then you, you know, you see like, okay, that idea works. That idea works. What's that idea doing there? <laughs> Whatever made me think that would fit. I don't know about that idea. And then, you know, so you try to be somewhat, you know, disciplined with using the good ideas. Um, 
and um, and then it, it it tends to if if you've got enough ideas and enough of spirit about it, it will tend to reveal itself. Uh, you know, a plot line, and you just kind of keep repeating the process, and then at a certain point, it's like you can't hold back and you start writing. Of course, if you're on assignment, you just start and you hope the metal I fillings hope for the come best. later. Exactly, but yeah. You, you hope the metal fillings come sometime before you turn it in. Sure. But uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the, the little pieces of good idea that stick to the magnet. But I don't. I'm not usually doing assignments. I'm usually writing, you know, just original material. Right, and oh, that's good. That's good. And when you you handed it over to Mark um, Archer, the director, watching him on set with your work and stuff, how well, how did that feel? Well, that's just it. <clears throat> Seeing Seeing actors like like um, David Carradine and Michael Maloney and Mariel Hemingway, um, honestly, it's you know for anybody who's thinking about writing a screenplay, engaged in it or making movies and hoping to work with some of the actors. I mean, honestly, it's it's usually about as good as you think it would be. I mean, sometimes better. I mean, certainly sometimes their work is better, but uh, even better what they bring to it. But it's 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 just really satisfying. So um, American Real, it sounds brilliant. It sounds like you had a great time making it. Um, with that and Three Holes and a Smoking Gun, your next film that you you wrote, um, can we see both of those at the moment? Are they both available? I imagine American Real is. Oh, they both are absolutely, right. absolutely. I mean, American Real came out in two thousand and three. Um, actually, got a great deal of TV play here and overseas. Um, the best way to see American Real these days is DVD. Right. Um, and just go to Amazon, just look up American Real on Amazon. I'll put a and, link in the show notes. So if you want to see that, that film with David Carradine, the link will be there. And the same with Three Holes in a Smoking Gun, I take it, that'll be there as well. Three Holes in a Smoking Gun is absolutely on Amazon as well. Uh, the DVD is there. I think the Blu-ray is there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there are other um, other places to see Three Holes in a Smoking Gun. It's on iTunes. Um, and also, um, actually, just recently, it's been on Vudu. Oh, right. uh, people can find um, Three Holes of the Poking Gun on Voodoo as well. So, yeah, both of these films can be seen and re-seen. I love it. I love it. Great. Well, now let's talk about the main event. Let's talk about Near Myth, the Oscar night story. Um, so this is, I mean, there's so much we can go into in this film about what it is, how it happened. And I can't wait. Before we go into what it's about, tell us how it started. How did Oscar night come about? Just like I wish... Tom Hiddleston was with us. I wish mm. Oscar Knight was with us as well. Don't Sitting we here, he, he'd lo- Oscar would like Oscar would like to be able to speak for himself. Oscar would love this. He would love Oscar, this, and he would he ridicule would... Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> <laughs> well, f- well, first, first he'd try to get him on board a film, and if that did, and if Tom wouldn't, then he'd ridicule him. Yeah, exactly. think... yeah fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. That would work with Oscar Knight. Exactly. But, uh, so, so Oscar no, no. Knight, so people know what Oscar Knight is about. It's a unique Hollywood story in the life and times, which chronicles one of our greatest directors, Oscar Knight. It's a mythical one. It's not really real, but it's made out that it's real and it's wonderful. It stars Lenny Von Dolan uh, as Oscar Knight. We've got Margaret O'Brien, Julianne Gwill, David Suchet, many more um, people like that who are playing themselves in this film. So it's like a it's like a mockumentary documentary about this famous one of hollywood's greatest directors oscar knight and it's cool as hell it's really interesting um and it's 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 got some brilliantly funny moments it's really cool it should be really interesting for our listeners to watch this film tell us how did it start and then we'll talk about the making of it new myth the oscar knight story 
which so people know, um, just came off of over a year on the festival circuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, or did great. Uh, won me two best director awards. Won a lot of other awards. Congratulations. Um, put us in a great place as we are now negotiating uh, licensing internationally. So uh, we're really excited about this picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all actually it started about five years ago when I um, watched the DVD of a film called uh, George Stevens, A Filmmaker's Journey. And uh, I mean, George Stevens, of course, made Giant with James Dean. Ah, and, yes. um, you know, uh, you know, and I, I you know, I loved you know, G- James Dean stuff. And then from there, uh, discovering George Stevens and watching his story, I realized how much I liked, you know, watching the life of a director, mm. which might be considered a little like self-reflexive because it's like, you know, I'm a director. I like, of course, I like the life of a director. Yeah, you know? Well, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but to see the lives of these directors. Yes. You know, these are, you know, these are directors from before the day that most films are done and only in a log cabin with six characters. You know, these were, you know, directors when movies were movies. That's, mm, you know, that, honestly, yeah. that sort of thing. So I had watched that. I loved that film. And then I saw a film uh, called um, John Huston, the man, the movies, the Maverick, also on DVD about, you know, the legendary John Huston who did African Queen and, you know, Man Who Would Be King and all these great, great films. And uh, I'm watching these, but there aren't that many of them. There aren't that many um, serious documentary biographies on great filmmakers. And then finally, um, actually, I I went to the New Art Theater here in L.A., which is a great indie theater, and uh, where I met uh, William Wellman, who's uh, who did a film about his father called uh, Wild Bill. Because uh, uh, William Wellman was like one of the great uh, filmmakers of, of that time as well. So I got to know Bill Wellman and I told him what I was thinking of doing. And he was very encouraging. We actually thank him in our, our list of thank yous, which goes on for about a mile and a half. Yes. Because uh, so many people contributed uh, so kindly and energetically to the making of, of Near Myth, the Oscar Night Story. But anyways, with his encouragement and the encouragement of many others, I decided the world needs uh, another story of another filmmaker as a documentary because there aren't enough of them. I, I certainly need one <laughs> to watch. Mm-hmm. So I'm going ma- to make my own. I'm going I'm to make one so I can watch it. And, uh, and you know, um, except um, I didn't want to do one that is, that is, you know, as dry and serious as, especially if it's not somebody who's real. So I wanted to take another angle on it. Um, I tend to write a lot of uh, comedy and satire when I'm not writing like uh, thrillers and, and film noir and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyways, the idea of, of this filmmaker um, named Oscar Knight was, was born and it's really very gratifying. The, the people, I mean, the film has not been released yet, but the people who, you know, cause we're setting up distribution mm-hmm. uh, through our sales agent, but the people who've seen it at festivals in the U S and Europe, who've seen the film uh, who don't know the inception of it, I've had people say to me, I've seen Oscar Knight. I've seen the movie. I really liked it. It's really funny, but I can't find anything about him. I want to find out more about Oscar Knight. So in other words, there are people who've seen it and they actually, they're enjoying the comedy, but they still think it's real. It's not like they took it seriously. They, they, they enjoy the satire, but they just think it's like Ed Wood. Like this Oscar Knight was a really funny guy. I want to read more about his life. Interesting. And, and to which, you know, you could say like, well, you know, <laughs> happy hunting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, actually, I've actually had a few people come back and go, look, 
the only stuff I could find on Google about is stuff about your movie, but nothing just about him. Why is that? Mm. And I'll say, well, think it, about it. Yeah, <laughs> why? I mean, there's a, there's a part you that goes, be, I could you know? set something up. I could, um, I could create a whole backstory and create this whole world for him. You could. But I think it's really nice that, that you made a film that people actually believe that Oscar Knight is a real person. That's great. Not, every, not everyone, but no, some people. Yeah. Actually, the best situation is where I've already told some people it's a mockumentary or it's a satire or it's fiction, and they've forgotten and they've come back and said, well, how, do, how can I read about him? And you'll go like, you know, yeah. weren't you listening when I told you what this is? But, but nonetheless, it, it, it is uh, roundly being considered uh, very entertaining and, and really funny. And uh, it's touching as well. It's rather nostalgic. Um, there's actually a sequence in the film um, about um, one of Oscar Knight's best friends, Tully Castle. And in the picture, um, well, first I should say this movie, for, for all those who see it, it contains everything you'd want to see in a documentary biography about a great filmmaker. It has um, obviously lots of still photos in black and white and color mm -hmm. of, of Oscar Knight himself. It has interviews with famous stars talking about, you know, what it was like to know the guy, you know, and uh, his, his, you know, who he was as a filmmaker, you know, as a man. Um, it has uh, clips, well, clips from his films, songs from the period. And then it has this, uh, this montage about Tully Castle, who in our story was, was a, um, a brilliant young New York stage actor. And we intimate that he was kind of like a Brando. And he came out and did an Oscar night film. He did one film with Oscar Knight, one film with Hollywood. But as uh, the narration says, uh, Hollywood would not have a chance to work with Tully Castle again. So this montage with our actor who plays Tully Castle, uh, Anthony Dillio, um, it, it, it kind of evokes the, you know, the people, it evokes the people we've lost. You know, I mean, mm. the, the, you know, whether it's James Dean, um, Heath Ledger, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Yep. Because that's a whole other part of the you know the Hollywood life, the Hollywood experience. Yeah. So um, that part is not. I mean, that that part's rather more nostalgic and poignant. So there. Are, so one way it differs from the average mockumentary. It's it's not just you know a series of one-liners. It really is. It, I mean, it, it's a biography. It's a biopic. It happens to be a mockumentary. This is great. Which is a great idea. Um, okay. So how did you go about then finding? The well, for one thing, the footage you needed, which obviously you shot, um, getting the clips, the songs. Tell us in, in the details of actually going out and actually making something like this. Well, to start with, whenever I start casting a picture, I always begin by saying, Yo, Adrian, mm -hmm. <laughs> you've got to just in case, you know what I mean? Someone you know, turns up like Ali Sheedy with another script, or you know, well, well, this time I say, Yo, Adrian, and like David Suchet calls me. I mean, like, this is what. What this, is, this is incredible. This, this is effing nuts. It was it was done in, it was done in pieces. It was done uh, over a period of five years right. while I was doing other, other projects, other <clears throat> pictures, other writing. Because I, I mean, I, I'm a novelist and a playwright as well. Mm -hmm. So it was done in pieces. It it was done without uh, it was done without a deadline. <clears throat> in fact, okay, David Corwin, um, also AKA David Pacino. Yes. All the, all the most talented people I know always have two names. So there's Tom Bishop, Jr. Burke, David Carver, David Pacino, you know. Um, well, because he produced it and he's a cinematographer of it and he edited it as well. So he, I, 
think he needed a few names. He needed so a he few names for that reason. One name for every, every job. Absolutely. You know, you know <laughs> I think that uh, I think that's the way it works. Um, one of the things that you need if you're going to try to make a movie that looks like a real uh, uh, biography about the history of cinema is you need photos. Mm. And this, uh, you know, and this doesn't just mean selfies. You know, of course. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know. Is it, just, it can't be like an hour and a half of Oscar and I taking a selfie. Well, that just wouldn't be real, would it? <laughs> you know, the, the aim was to cover, I mean, to really give a taste of every decade in the history of filmmaking. Mm. But uh, Oscar Night's heyday, one might say it was like the late 30s through, yeah, through the mid-60s. Because, yeah, mid-60s, he was being nominated. Now, that's a key uh, through line to the movie. He was getting nominated all along the way for Best Director. And the first time he's nominated in the picture, it's it's the end of Act One, and um, it's it's a turning point. It's the the narration says, you know, Oscar Knight had arrived. Yeah, he doesn't win, but that, he doesn't win, but it's okay. And it's Hollywood in its halcyon days, and oh. we have a wonderful. There's a great great montage of Lenny Von Dolan in the late 30s, in early 40s. You see you see him drinking with Errol Flynn. You see him um, uh, posing, uh, photographed with. Um, uh, Cary Grant lighting a cigarette from Marlena Dietrich. Lenny Von Dolan did not actually do all of these things, but uh, nonetheless, thanks to the magic of green screen uh, and David Polcino, uh, Lenny Von Dolan did do all these things. And and the Costume House, amazing, uh, amazing. The magic of the costume House in Van, it's called the Costume House actually in Van Nuys. They gave us we had a, a great situation. They gave us carte blanche to. It's like. All the costumes we could carry, literally. So, how did you how did you actually get those? Uh, like, say, you've, you've the magic of green screen, the magic of putting stuff, stitching it together. How did it, you actually go? Okay, well, first of all, get the rights for the photos or the clips that that Lenny as Oscar Knight is starring in. How did you go about that? Actually, it was thanks to the uh, <clears throat> the good grace, the good graces, kindness, uh, vision. True and true vision of Mark Wanamaker and Mark, Mark Wanamaker is a film archivist in LA mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he has been a uh, technical advisor and archivist bringing similar photos and uh, knowledge of about period clothing, period buildings, architecture, etc. for Chinatown, LA Confidential, Rules Don't Apply, Warren's, Warren okay. Beatty's latest film. Well, I say Warren, you know, so, yeah, Warren. So, so the people in Scotland believe I know him. Exactly. <laughs> it's like me and Tom Hiddleston, just me and Tom. <laughs> Tom, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, he's, he's, he's our bud now. Yeah, well, uh, yeah it will be. So, but seriously, Mark, Mark opened up his bison, what's called Bison Archives. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, use the, use the photos you can use. And we, we just picked these great photos throughout all, you know, all these eras. Then we found a great green screen set up downtown. There is a, seen in our film from Oscar Knight's movie. Uh, it was not as great a success, I must say. <clears throat> it was called Oscar Knight's Moby Dick. It had become his absolute obsession to win the Oscar. So now he made a movie. Well, his movies were kind of uh, expressing, sometimes subconsciously, sometimes rather more on the surface, his, his pursuit. So we needed a whaling vessel. So what am I going to do except pay... Um, uh, to have a whaling vessel made, which I did. Mm-hmm. It was okay. It wasn't to scale. <clears throat> it wasn't to scale. But I will say that the whaling vessel that we shot was brought to us on a truck um, in downtown LA, uh, down an alley, and we got it in there. I don't know how they 
got it in. But um, nonetheless, these are the kinds of things that you do yeah. when you're yeah. making it, you're making an indie film mm-hmm. where not only is there no deadline, it's like the film is a lifestyle. We we are like, what do you do? I, we just make this film. We're just going to keep making this which, film. Which must have been quite difficult to not have a deadline, to not have an end date sometimes must have been difficult, right? Because sometimes you go, right, okay, let's go shoot this weekend. Oh, um, Dave's not available or, you know, Lenny's not available. Okay, we'll do it next weekend. Did that happen a lot? Was that that kind of when people are available type vibe? Well, you know what? I mean, when people were available was part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or when we found, like, we need to find certain pictures or we need to find certain photographers who can, I mean, actually, David uh, David uh, Polcino shot a lot of still photos, but uh, we had other we had other photographers too. Um, right. So we were we were searching for, for you know photographers, costume people, artisans. You know, th- it was uh, <laughs> that's why there were miles of thank yous and I mean miles of credits beforehand. But you know, the no schedule uh, method was kind of it worked kind of like a dream. Really? Seriously, it was a lovely way to do it. It it was like no stress filmmaking. And it's just like, we're going to do it as things permit. And uh, I'll probably never get to do another film like of in that style again. I have other things that are moving and they all have a schedule. That's amazing. Was it just because there was no, everyone was just more relaxed with it? You could go, here are the dates now. Are you available on the 16th? Let's go shoot that. Was it, which takes the pressure off, I suppose. Well, it was, you know what? It was very independent financing with, with, you know, it came from a source that was okay with this. And the, they were just of the, the, the mindset, you know, I mean, this was made to make a great movie and a movie we loved. And that's what it was all about. And it was not, it was not, it was that, that pure actually. I love it. I love it. And so how did you get the cast then? Let's talk about the cast. Cause you got an amazing cast. How did, how did they all come about? Well, after I said, yo, Adrian, and the phone didn't ring, mm-hmm. I then said about, well, I contacted some, some actors I'd, I'd worked with before who I thought might be game for this kind of, uh, this kind of craziness. Yes. And uh, <laughs> it's like, so I called Joaquim de Almeida, you know, who is, he's, he's a two-time golden, uh, Portuguese Golden Globe winner. Yeah, I just, I just rang him up and asked him to do it. Mm-hmm. And he said, what part would I be playing? And I, I said, um, well, actually... He, to be honest with you, he said I was getting the same reaction from a lot of the actors who I knew, who I asked, and, I, and it was not a bad reaction; it was a good reaction. I said to I, I said, he said, "What part will I be playing?" And I said, "You'll be playing yourself." And similarly, when I was talking to Rudolf Martin, mm-hmm. brilliant German actor in Swordfish with John Travolta, NCIS, he has a, a like a rabid fan base. People love Rudolf. And when I told Rudolph, you'll be playing yourself. And wouldn't you know it, in the case of all these actors where I said that, they said, I know how to do that. <laughs> I've done that before. I just don't know if I do it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think Rudolph said, I'm doing it right now. Right, right. He's, he's got the part. Says. In, this, in this moment, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. And I said, you're, and you're doing it well, you know. Yeah. So Joaquim agreed that he would know how to play himself. Um, Ru- Rudolph, too. Yeah. Um, and these were people you knew. So therefore you could just pick up the phone and call them. Right. Is right. It from just being around, from being around the scene. Yeah. It was basically, you know, li- living in LA, you know, living in LA and just being, being out and about. I mean, each, each story is different, but the end result is they all showed up. Exactly. <laughs> so that, that was the important thing. Uh, actually, David Suchet, um, 
was brought into the project by co-producer Paul Gregory, um, of, um, uh, an officer and a gentleman, to be sure, a fine app British actor, uh, is really, really good friends with David Suchet. David thought it would be a hoot to do it, as he said. And uh, he, he's, he's wonderful. Great cast. Well done. Really well done yeah. for getting that. It, in terms of um, shooting it, you did it over five years. Was there any issues that you came along on the way? Was there anything that you felt that you could have, you know, that was amazing? Uh, talk us through that bit. Well, I mean, <clears throat> maybe I should come clean and say, maybe I should say the reason it took five years is it actually, we shot it all in about a month, but then we spent like four years and 11 months shooting one scene like Kubrick. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, I, I've heard that. Lenny, Lenny this is take 30,000, <laughs> not, not laughing. During, during some of the funnier scenes that's actually that's a real problem actually it can be when yeah, you're doing yeah. comedy it's so hard not to laugh i've been told off for doing that a few times i'm sat behind the monitor and i'm just giggling away and you hear the sound go, can you shut up you're ruining the take i'm like i can't help it it's funny basically you're doing an outdoor scene you know and you have like a whole group of people maybe mm -hmm. like maybe it's in the woods and the actor finishes and Basically, he looks around, he can't see anybody, and then people start peeking out from behind trees with their hands over their mouths. Yeah, yeah they're the good bits. And you hope that that translates, because sometimes when you do that, and then you get back into the edit suite, and you look at it and you go, oh, I wasn't as funny as I thought. We were all laughing on set. It's funny how that can happen. I don't want to give the impression that that was always the case, because there is that kind of cool. idea of, okay, therefore it's not funny. But, but nonetheless, somebody is going to break up at some point yeah you know and there is some really funny moments in the oscar night story um especially during the interviews and stuff it's just really funny did you allow the actors to sort of improvise a little bit around that and find their own rhythm and beats that was absolutely part of the process it, mm. the film the film is fully scripted <clears throat> um a lot of times I, I i believe some documentaries aren't scripted or um they'll have a few ideas written on a cocktail napkin mm -hmm. and go shoot a movie um <clears throat> people who see this might think that you know the entire thing was improv it's possible um it was very intricately scripted and rescripted and rescripted um including to suit the actors we finally got yeah because i mean <clears throat> i i did write early on i did have an interview for uh, uh martin scorsese wow uh, you'll notice he's not in the film but i did Isn't write it? one for him and, I, and I, I, I wrote one for Sean Connery. Of course you did. I'm surprised you didn't write one for Hiddleston as well. It, well, it's never too late to add him to the special That's features. very true. I think for this kind of film, it was the most productive and enjoyable approach, which was like uh, scripted, you know, in a, you know, scripted fully and then let all the actors bring what they can to it. Brilliant. And so that's what we did. And in terms of the budget for it then, how did you get the funding? Yo, Adrian. <laughs> right. That's the best Here's way, my friend. Your, your call out to the universe. Uh, put it this way. I'll, uh, we'll have you include an email to my investor mm -hmm. so everybody could write to him and ask for money. How's that? Uh, <laughs> so I, I think I think we'll keep this off the record. But sure. but uh, so somebody who could write a check did. And, and uh, we're, we're glad they did. Yeah, that's great. You found an investor and they invested. Great. That's good for our yeah. listeners to know. Let's talk about the distribution now then, which is the perfect time. There's the open field uh, yeah, of yeah. this film. So what's happening? What's the situation? When can people see it potentially? So what's happened now is the sales agents come on board and now our sales agent is uh, negotiating um, deals, 
having to do with the U.S., Europe, Canada. And I'd like to see, think that this is going to be available, um, well, certainly later this year, but hopefully not so much later. Right. You know, just some months from now. Okay. But yeah, it's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. It's and then, coming. Good. And then, again, of course, ultimately, Amazon, you know, instant video and iTunes. But first, um, yeah, possible art house theatrical release, TV cable. You know, there's so many great platforms before Amazon and iTunes. There absolutely is. You're right. So that's yeah. great. You've managed to get the film uh, with a sales agent and it's now going to be coming up to release. We're very excited for, I'm excited for people to see it because I think it's a really, really cool indie film. Um, I think it's great. So I'm excited by that. All right. So what's next? What's next for you? What's exciting here is that Near Myth, the Oscar Night Story has been opening a lot of doors. So with what's come before in this film, um, I'm now working with uh, my manager, who's also a producer, Sean Maurer. He uh, was one of the pro- executive producers of the film Killing Gunther, was also a, um, a producer, associate producer on Joshi, which was a Sundance picture. Mm-hmm. So we've got a movie that is a, a big budget studio picture. It's a Navy SEALs um, action adventure called Carrier One, and it's being packaged at the moment. It looks like it's going to be uh, a studio film. Well, <clears throat> we're working with an Australian partner named Jennifer Van Gessel. Uh, who's made the film called Beast No More and does a lot of work uh, out of Australia. So this is going to be a great international picture, mm. uh, Carrier One. Um, and then there's actually a smaller indie Austra- this gonna, uh, picture that's going to be shot on an island in Australia uh, that uh, Jennifer Van Gessel is producing as well from a script of mine, again, with Sean on board, Sean Maurer. Th- those aren't on the IMDb, but they're, they're moving, and they're moving quickly. On the IMDb, um, there's The Guardian Angel, which is a World War II spy action drama. Right. There's all of that. And then, so on break, my LA project that I'm going to direct, I'm in talks with, uh, with Billy Boyd, Lawrence Pressman, James Torme, uh, a great actor singer and a great, uh, actress singer in New York about a musical for the stage in LA called dolls and guys, which I'm very excited about. And then finally, because that, that is for theater. Um, finally, uh, there is going to be a production, uh, on October 26th and 27th in Belfast, Ireland, Possibly another night as well there. It'll be at the Accidental Theater in in November. It'll probably transfer to another theater. It may have a rather longer life in Northern Ireland. Uh, The director is Thomas Pollack. The producer is Rachel Coffey. And like I said, that'll be coming in October. Dialogue for Latchkey and Leading the Witness, a double bill in Belfast, Ireland. Wow, it sounds like massively busy. It's great. It's really productive. Congratulations. It's really exciting. Um, So thank you very much for your time, uh, Scott. This has been absolutely wonderful. Now, our listeners would love to know where they can follow you. So where can they find you on social media? You know, they can go to Facebook and they can they can simply look up Scott Fivelson. Uh, They can message me. They could look up the Facebook page for Near Myth, the Oscar Night Story on Facebook. And they could look up um, Oscar Night Fan Club, which Mm. is which is thriving which is thriving. So three places they can find me on Facebook. They can find me on the IMDb uh, or they can find me here with Tom Hiddleston and you. Of course. Of course. Best place to find us. Absolutely. Any day of the week. Oh, Any day of the absolutely. Week. Um, this has been fantastic, Scott. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Totally do. Um, you can follow us at Filmmakers Pod. You can follow me at Giles Alderson. Remember, get your screenings and fundraisers into us for our indie film shout outs. So, Scott, just before we leave you, is there any advice you can give us for indie filmmakers? Keep doing it. Keep doing and, it. Yeah. And, keep, and I'd say reach reach high and reach higher, you know? Cool. Uh, because because you, once you start the process and you start reaching out to people, 
and and sources, you will sometimes, not always, but sometimes be amazed at uh, what becomes possible. And uh, be really proud if you do it. Oh, absolutely. And in, in the case of Scott, everyone just shout Adrian really loudly and things might happen for you. Tom Hiddleston might just turn up at your door uh, and say, I want to be in your film. You just never know in this world. Uh, Scott, honestly, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Giles, what I could say is um, th- this: I've done other interviews, but this has been the most fun I've ever had. Wow. I'll take that. Absolutely. It's it's certainly the most fun Hiddleston's ever had. Yeah, it definitely will be. Definitely will be. Remember, being prepared is everything. You can make your indie film, but know who your audience is. Get out there and do it. Remember, if you're lucky enough to do well and rise up, it's your duty to send the elevator back down. Scott, thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Joe. Pleasure. Uh, Everyone, remember, there's a new show out on Tuesday, as always. We will see you next Tuesday. Until then, stay safe. Keep making films. Remember, go out there, do it. Get it done, whatever you can. Till next time. Bye-bye. This was a podcast from the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com.